Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Bugle. This is The Gargle, the sonic glossy magazine to The Bugle's audio newspaper for a visual world. Welcome to this week's edition. Your guest editors this week are Tiff Stevenson and John Luke Roberts. Welcome. Hello. Hello, thank you. It's a, sh- a shorter intro this time because last week was too long. I average out my introductions. <laughs> Over what period of time? Well, it depends how long the show lasts for. You'll only find out at the end. And not the end of the show, the end of all time. <laughs> We're going to plunge into this week's edition of the show, but first, uh, let's have a quick look at the front cover. The front cover this week is the Omicron variant posing provocatively with its butt perkily to the front of the frame and a cape on. The headline reads, quote, You don't know me, end quote. Exclusive mystery virus tells all, exclamation mark. The satirical cartoon this week is the characters from the Sex and the City reboot looking like they don't hate and resent each other and the impact that fame has had on their lives, but they're a metaphor for something geopolitical. That's satirical cartoons for you. Getting into this week's edition, an animal section. Our first our first story is uh, in our animal section is a man who suffered from an otter attack. John Luke Roberts, you look like mm. a man who feared for his life during an otter attack. Can you unpack this story? It's very sad, really. This man, Mr. Spencer, is an Englishman. Well, I don't know English, British. Lives in Singapore and was attacked by 20 otters in a park. But it was a case, it's basically a revenge tragedy. It was a case of mistaken identity. Some runners ran over these otters, trampling them. And they looked around for who had done it and discovered poor Mr. Spencer walking along. (laughs) Bit his ankles, brought him toppling to his... He fell over and then they started nearly they nearly killed him apparently by biting him all over. He's very forgiving of the otters, which is good, otherwise it would go on to a sort of cycle of violence with him going after the otters' children and then, you know, one of the otters growing up to later come and kill his his family. So that's basically the story. Everyone's forgiven the otters. Um, and it wasn't the otter's fault. But the runner has never been found. There's so much about this story that is confronting to me. First of all, it feels like the second half of one of those would you rather be 
attacked by one man-sized otter or 20 otter-sized otters <laughs> um, <laughs> and that he's answered wrongly. And then also I'm reading the story on the BBC website. The way that it's written leaves so much room for ambiguity. His name's Graham George Spencer. So already he's got three first names, which is a man you can't trust. He said he suffered more than 20 wounds after he was bitten in the city-state's botanic gardens. Now, <laughs> that is not where one gets bitten. And then it says about the otters, a representative from the park told Mr Spencer they were investigating. Is that the otters who were investigating? Yeah, I guess we'll there's know. so many dangling signifiers like, like where is one's botanic gardens and can you get it waxed? <laughs> I like that there's a representative. This reminds me of when they tried to rebrand shark attacks. Do you remember that? They were like, we need to stop calling them attacks. And I'm like, what are you going to call them? Bitey wet times. <laughs> like, well, So you may feel that you had your leg lacerated completely by a shark, but we'd prefer it if you could just reframe that. I love otters. I absolutely love sea otters. I was on the... Just before the pandemic, I was in America on the Pacific Coast Highway and uh, crying my eyes out, seeing them going, oh my God, I exist in the world and this thing that's so different to me exists in the world. And then I saw an otter get like a, um, a clam, I think it was, and smash it on its chest to open it. And it reminded me of myself with a jar of pickles. <laughs> I was like, actually not, not that different. But they were saying that the otter population in Singapore has exploded in recent years and that the animals have hit the headlines for allegedly eating thousands of dollars worth of koi carp and learning to climb ladders. <laughs> like, we all like sushi and getting good views. I'm not going to judge these otters. I'm not prepared to do it. No, I mean, thousands of dollars worth. I don't know how much koi carp cost also. You know, that what's the market for koi carp? Thousands of dollars for koi, oh, car of yeah. car koi carp might just be one bite. It might be 100,000 koi carp. I don't know the going price in the carp market. I guess $10 for a carp. Oh, that's a lot of carp then. But that's wild speculation on yeah, my part. Yeah, right. we don't know. I think koi carp are more than $10. But really, yeah, outgoing carp. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. I don't know. Ones. I feel like if you had a pond or something, I feel like koi carp are like probably about 50 quid. A, is that an overreach? They're fancy. They're not They're, they're not just your regular carp. They're fancy no. carp. I'm convinced by your argument. I think I, I went in too low. I think, I, I reckon about 50 to 100 quid per koi mm -hmm. carp. So I think they're just, they're smashing down the sushi. I'm seeing them tear into them raw. It's not like they're getting them on a barbecue. You know, these otters know what they want. This is a quote that was clearly got by, you know, going to a local Facebook group and going, does anyone know about these otters? Because the quote is from a local photographer who quote unquote documents them. So just some weird <laughs> otter perv uh, who says, these otters got attacked, if you will, by being stepped on. And in a moment of confusion, they attacked the wrong guy. That's really what it is, he says. So he's coming in like he's an expert. <laughs> <laughs> like justice would have been served if the otters had attacked the right guy. I find this story uh, incredibly powerful and moving. And I hope we can all learn a lesson. What's the lesson you've learned from this story, John Luke? Always make sure you attack the right 60-year-old British man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how old is Boris Johnson? Hey, and no, no we're not doing politics. Bing, 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 no. bing. I guess that's a wildlife story as well. Though. Can I suggest a, a title if this was to be made into the revenge play that I see it being? I'd like to go for Why I Otter. Um, <laughs> which also works as a, as a, as a story about a, a Geordie otter as well, I suppose. Very nice. Tiff, what, have, what lesson have you learned from this tale of revenge gone wrong? Uh, it's utterly beautiful. <laughs> that I am actually an otter. I empathise with, I think, and um, I won't hear a bad word said about them. That's what I'm taking from this story.
I mean, I empathize with otters as well, but that's just because I like to go to sleep holding hands <laughs> and floating on my back in a body of water. It's a complex set of requirements. Next up in our animal news section, a woman... And again, an elderly woman, what is it with wildlife and elderly people, uh, was attacked by a raccoon while she was hanging her Christmas lights. What happened next? Tiff Stevenson, you look like you've hung a few Christmas lights in your time, <laughs> if you know what I mean, because I don't. What's happened here? There was a lady putting out her Christmas lights. Woman 70 attacked by raccoon while hanging Christmas lights. Puts it in a headlock. So this is like... I was going to say, is it WWE, WWF? One is World Wildlife Foundation. One is is wrestling. It's both. It's the convergence of both these worlds. It's very exciting. I mean, she did describe it as the worst nightmare of her life. Both me and the raccoon were screaming so loud. Donna Sangianaro wrote in a post on Facebook. So now we're getting our news from Facebook, as we always should be. So it says, day of Christmas decorating didn't go as planned for a woman who was attacked by a raccoon that left her with bites and bruises all over her arms. I really thought I was going to die, said Massachusetts resident. So that's the second of them. So the other guy thought he was going to die as well. The Singapore guy thought he was going to die, a man with three first names. And now Donna Sanginario thought that she was going to die. Do they just not have any sense of what it feels like to be killed to death by wildlife? Because these are very small animals. Well, she she said she turned around. She heard a strange noise coming from the street. I turned around to see what the noise was. And I was staring at a huge raccoon about 10 feet away. But how big is a huge raccoon? Again. Before I could do anything, it jumped at me. Maybe it thought she was Cyril Sneer from the (laughs) raccoon's cartoon. I don't know. I don't know, but it sounds like, and I don't want to victim blame, but like if it was 10 feet away and then it just launched itself, what happened? Was it the lights? Did it feel threatened or did it have rabies? Because there is a suggestion. It says, um, you know, not all raccoons have the virus, but signs they're rabid include a staggering gait, an erratic wandering, discharge from eyes or mouth, and are self-mutilating, which is just any office Christmas party. So I feel like it's the time of year. I don't know why she turned around, it was 10 feet away, and then it was on her. Like, what? There's no detail on what happened between her seeing it and it just launching itself at her. I think it was probably a misplaced revenge attack for its family was killed by some other old lady putting up Christmas lights. Uh, if these things are going to a pattern. Maybe its wife left him Christmas and I'm assuming the raccoon's a dude, but like maybe the sight of Christmas lights going up reminds him of his divorce. He's got no way of taking it out on Twitter. He can't tippy tap away. So now he's like, I'll just attack a random woman putting out Christmas lights. They don't have opposable thumbs, but they can open rubbish bins, I think. They can, yeah. So they're very nifty. I reckon you could get a raccoon on Twitter. Now I've just discovered my new life's mission. Do you think you could train a raccoon to... So, you you know those flip-top lids which often stop working, the kind of connector goes. Could you train a raccoon so that instead you sort of step on the raccoon's tail and the raccoon opens the bin for you, <laughs> then you put the stuff in, then closes it and goes off? I think that might defeat the purpose. I think what you would do is just give the rubbish to the raccoon to eat. Oh, right, yeah, great. Well, we've, we've solved it. it. It took us a while, but we've worked out... What I call upstream thinking. <laughs> I don't think... Well, it's interesting, (laughs) Tiff, you talked about victim blaming here because I'm not sure that I believe this woman is the victim. I'm not as clear on that. I think (laughs) she was... Inside the house is people's area. Up the side of a house with Christmas decorate, that is definitely the raccoon's home that she is going into. She was in there. So it's up to the raccoon what he wants to do about a home invader. (laughs) 
get armed. Like, yeah. what, what are the open carry laws in Massachusetts? <laughs> Your ad section now, because you can't be what you can't buy. Yes, Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme, but there's nothing that says money can't start like that. We should all agree that Bitcoin is either a scam or the next big thing. It's really Schrodinger's currency. And in that vein, the Gargle is launching its own cryptocurrency, Gargalecoin. Welcome to Gargalecoin. Each Gargalecoin is backed by a whole half a glass of water, which is to say an NFT of a half a glass of water joke, limited to the number of half a glass of water jokes I've ever written. So like a bajillion. <laughs> it's essentially worthless. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a section entitled, What is Art? And we flip through some glossy pictures of classic works before we enter our first art section story, which is a Michelin-starred restaurant which has received a terrible, terrible review and responded to that review. And I think we all know that businesses should never respond to criticisms, but this is like such a joyous interchange. I'm not sure if it was art to begin with, but I'm pretty sure that it's art now. Tiff Stevenson, you are our art expert. Can you unpack this delicious 24-course meal of a story? 27 courses, how dare you? That's like you've really not appreciated the art of this. So firstly, I would say about Michelin stars, I recently did this like culinary cruise thing where I had to interview chefs and Michel Roux was one of the, he's got two Michelin stars. And the discussion was that the pressure of having a Michelin star is not only having one, but then keeping it because every year you have to get the Michelin star renewed. So chefs can lose their minds over it. And it sounds like this chef has it's a restaurant in italy in a town called i think that's lecce i don't know if i've pronounced that correctly the scottish italian next door will tell me off if i haven't but a travel writer turned up to have a go off the tasting menu basically a 27 course tasting menu and the restaurant is led by a chef called floriano pellegrino i'm hoping from the pellegrino family because they're an avant-garde family they put fancy <laughs> little hats on their cans of fizzy drink you know these people are not messing around you look at an aranciata and and you think is it going to a wedding why is it wearing a fascinator so these people are already they're already thinking outside the box if it's the same pellegrino's that do the fizzy drink. So, so it's a 27 course tasting menu. Basically the menu sounds like the school dinner packages that were sent out to the children at home 
during the summer. Like genuinely, <laughs> some segments of orange reconstituted, a shot of vinegar, a paper wafer and some old ricotta. So these are some of the courses. I mean, it sounds deliberately disgusting, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's like you, you can't be seriously thinking that people are going to eat this and be... I mean, I've done tasting menus before. You're never going to get a lot of food, but what you're kind of hoping with a tasting menu is sort of an explosion of flavour and something delicious and, you know, which I think is quite funny. I do think is avant-garde. One of the courses is um, some foam, like a citrus foam, but it comes in a plaster cast of the mouth of the chef. (laughs) And you have to suck it out of the mouth of the chef, which I do think at that point, when you're there, you're going, yeah, we are trying to do art here. We're not, this isn't a fine dining experience, which I guess it depends on what you think you're going for. If you think you're going for a fine dining experience and you you have to suck citrus foam out of a plaster cast, you're probably not going to be happy. Anyway, so this this travel writer has critiqued it and done a Twitter thread and he was very, very unhappy and then obviously brought into question what is the nature of art? And I am a I'm an artist. I'm a chef who is an an artist. I mean the chef responded with a picture of a horse. So I think <laughs> three pictures three pictures of a horse. Come yeah, on. You are correct. Give him some credit. <laughs> <laughs> John Luke, you sound like you take criticism badly. <laughs> How do you feel about the picture of a horse? Oh, oh God, I take criticism so badly and I am delighted to now be able to respond with horses. <laughs> I can draw a horse, but not from memory. I have to look at a horse, otherwise it's a disaster. One, the sucking the foam out of the plaster cast mouth thing, I would not be surprised to hear that was reclassified as a crime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so delighted by this three-page response with three different pictures of a horse. One, a very simple picture of a man and a horse. Then one very fancy painting of a man and a horse. And then one avant-garde painting of a man and a horse with, you know, a whole load of text about what cooking means, what theatre is, what art is. What I really like this chef. I think I would have hated that meal. But I'd, I'd take my hat off. I'd take my hat off to his response. Yeah, what is art? What is food? What is a chef? What is a client? What is good taste? These are all Who are questions. you? What are you doing here? Why, <laughs> Why is this check bounce? <laughs> this is one of those beautiful things where you have a just complete miscommunication about what is attempting to be achieved here, which is that the, the chef is thinking that they're doing art and it's an avant-garde experience that makes you question the nature of food and is delivering exactly that, exactly what he desires to deliver into the mouths of his gaping audience who unfortunately were hoping to have a nice meal and not to have to question the nature of food. His ungrateful gaping. <laughs> his gaping audience. <laughs> the mouths of his gaping audience. Like they came in like like baby birds. <laughs> I mean, you've been involved in what can occasionally be called anti-comedy, John Luke. I think you know what a, the mouths of a gaping audience look like. <laughs> oh, mine are normally... No, the ones who don't like it, they're tight shut like they've just eaten a lemon. There's no nothing gaping about them at all. Have they eaten the lemon out of the mouth of a plaster cast of the comedian? <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit in the early response that did make me kind of go, I mean, this guy does sound up himself. It says... Being able to draw a man on a horse does not make you an artist. Agreed. The result of your talent can be beautiful to look at, but it's not art. Drawing a man on the horse is the same as making food. Many people are able to make good food. Your grandmother could do it. My wife does it great. Uh. And then it's just like the maleness, like kind of dripping off that. For centuries, women have cooked. Then all of a sudden we have these celebrity chefs. 
and so many of them are dudes and they're like but we're doing it as art you just do it as like domestic labor and that's what came <laughs> off of that like oh my grandmother with her basic dishes that she just made so everyone could survive but again i feel like this is just another instance of you know women doing something first I, there's been plenty of women who are terrible cooks you don't need to like take credit for that yes. too. no no i'm a terrible chef <laughs> yes well it's not even terrible i'm avant-garde i am an artist and all of that stainage around the hob is uh you know it's how you interpret it it's not actually mess i have answered the question can you burn a boiled egg <laughs> <laughs> i wonder how the italians themselves responded to this because i've been watching the sopranos and uh Artie, who runs the restaurant velsuvia in it tried to do a tasting menu in a recent episode and that did not go down well at all <laughs> like one of them was asking for macaroni and gravy just just give me the macaroni and gravy I'm intrigued to know how the Italians respond to this because this was a travel writer. I mean, it's got a Michelin star, so someone's responded saying this is Michelin-starred food. Maybe they served something different that day. You never know. Maybe they just did a normal, you know, very fancy nine-course tasting menu, for example. Not uh, not the... And didn't bring out the mouth... Because I think as soon as you bring out the mouth with the foam in, that Michelin person is clicking their pen and, and making a few alterations. <laughs> That's all the time we have for that story because now we have to move, unfortunately, to our obituary section. Uh, normally not relevant for a comedy podcast, but I think Anne Rice produced some of the funniest prose that has ever been created uh, in the history of literature. Sorry, Anne Rice, is that another dish in that restaurant? <laughs> was that the 15th course? Now we're bringing you some Anne Rice. Famous gothic perv Anne Rice has died at the age of 80, uh, leaving behind a, a legacy of um, overheated teens. I think we can attribute like basically every overheated supernatural teen thriller to Anne Rice's inspiration. Not that there weren't um, overheated teen porny thrillers before her, but I think she really lit the fire underneath that. John Luke, you've been an overheated teen. Can you tell us a bit more about Anne Rice? She wrote Interview with a Vampire, right? She did write yes. Interview with a Vampire. And then this week she was killed by what kind of animal? <laughs> what sort of animal killed Anne Rice at 80? We've got a 60-year-old killed by otters, a 70-year-old attacked by... Well, he wasn't killed. Okay, fine. Attacked by otters, attacked by a raccoon at 70. At 80, Anne Rice felled a bat. It would have to be a bat, wouldn't it? Yes. The inexorable yes. march of time, I'm afraid. Oh, no. That's the worst of all. That's never a funny story. Have you ever read, like, a... A slice of interview with a vampire because the film had fit men in it and sometimes that's enough for me to pick up a book right i tried to read it afterwards it was very overly flowery and verbose and it felt like it was homework you know mm. when you're reading it you're like this feels like homework it's like 25 words when we could have been five and then nothing happens you're like when is something gonna happen but yeah she is i think responsible for a revival of all things vampire although comics we're sort of vampires aren't we we only go out at night and we can't look at our reflections, not because they don't exist, but because we hate ourselves. I'm pleased that the vampire law, like I think probably stuff like Buffy coming around, you know, and because obviously the film was there and then the TV series, I do, I do think she's to credit for that. The situation is always two vampires fighting over one woman who's always mortal. 
that seems to be the framework for these kind of things. Look, I go back and forth on vampires. On one hand, I I appreciate their approach to consent. On the other hand, they really are just oversized mosquitoes. So whenever I I see a scene of a vampire floating through a window, I just imagine them making the noise. And somehow that's a lot less sexy. And ironically... Going back and forth on a vampire sounds like something that would happen in an Anne Rice book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining a giant newspaper swatting a vampire now. That's why there's always those billowing curtains. They're just the mosquito net. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's time, of course, for our reviews. As you know, every week, each of our guest editors brings in something to review out of five stars. Tiff Stevenson, what have you brought us this week? I am reviewing... It might be slightly breaking a rule, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm reviewing the Tory Christmas parties, which is kind of like reviewing air because we know it exists, but we can't ever see it. (laughs) So I'm reviewing Christmas parties that they're connected to the Conservative Party. Let's, you know, neither here nor there. But um, did you know Allegra Stratton is actually an anagram of Boris's convenient scapegoat? I mean, hit the politics bell, Ped. This is very politics. (laughs) Some photos have emerged in the last couple of days of the Tory Christmas parties. One of Boris hosting a quiz, presumably with questions like, how many children do I have? Because it appears he doesn't know or know any cheap painter decorators these parties have the air of a wake for fun like imagine you <laughs> went to a funeral for fun like an actual wake for fun which in many ways is quite apt because i think the tory party is pretty dead after this you know look the idea that parties were held worse than that not very good parties <laughs> while, <laughs> while people didn't see their families at christmas r.i.p conservatives uh, i give these parties a depressed three kazoos out of ten and how do you feel about christmas parties in general Listen, I think they're there for you to do something regrettable. That's a Christmas party, (laughs) the office dynamic, you know, someone's going to get off with someone they shouldn't. Someone's going to photocopy something they shouldn't have. Although I feel that's like maybe changed in recent years, you know. Um, I like an old school party in the office. I feel like they don't really happen as much anymore. People now like book venues and they go out of the office, but there's no, you know, it's fun to staple something to something that it shouldn't be stapled to. And it's fun to photocopy body parts. So I say bring back the old school in office Christmas party. Yeah. Also, I feel like you shouldn't pretend that it isn't work. It should be at work to really embrace the full depressingness of being forced. Forced socialising with work colleagues. Yes. There's a market for a venue to open up, which is office-themed, so that offices can book it for their office party. They've got the photocopier there, they've got the staplers, they've got all the bits of stationary little pens and stuff. I once did a... There was a hotel, like a boutique hotel, and they were doing gigs in there so that the audience would be led around each room. And then as part of the payment for the act, you performed in your room, and then you got to stay there. And I died horribly, and then I had to sleep... In this room, I had just died in. So, you know, I think there's something about going to work in somewhere where you've got this horrible memory of this terrible party. <laughs> At least you could shift that to an outside venue. Yes, I think that experience of dying in the room and then having to sleep in it is the experience of every Zoom gig since the beginning of this <laughs> pandemic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John Luke, what have you brought in to review? I've got a very short review. Yes. I'm going to be reviewing gloves. Yes. Gloves, the hollow floppy hands you put your hands inside. Five stars, if you like that sort of thing. (laughs) I found a pair of gloves that fitted, like, exceptionally well, but I couldn't think of the perfect simile. (laughs) The perfect simile for how well a glove fits is like a condom. (laughs) This condom fits like a glove and this glove fits like a condom. And one of them's going somewhere rude. (laughs) 
Well, now we go into our travel section now because tis the season to make lists because that's, of course, what people do around Christmas is they make lists of Europe's most friendly countries. And this has come out on euronews.travel, which has listed the most and least friendly places to go in Europe now that you're not allowed to go to Europe anymore. I think that's what Brexit means, isn't it? Brexit means Brexit and Brexit means not being able to go to Europe. Yes. John Luke, what is the friendliest country and why would you not go there? (laughs) Well, the friendliest country is Portugal. And I wouldn't go there because it's an awful lot of admin at the moment. (laughs) They've made a list of the top friendliest countries in the world. It's just quite interesting that Euronews have spun this as the friendliest countries in Europe. There are four European countries, Portugal, Greece, Ireland and Spain. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Basically, if it was which European countries are friendlier than the UK, it would be all European countries. (laughs) Even Belarus, probably, at this point. I think the unspoken end of that sentence is to whom are they being unfriendly? I I feel like they have very different approaches depending on where you're coming from. If you are, for example, a British person in Austria right now or, you know, say a refugee coming in uh, to the UK, I feel like you get a very different different reaction. It says in the article, will I actually be able to make friends? (laughs) Which Which is like terrifying to have to put that in the article and I think of course sure all you do is you speak your own language at them but slowly and loudly and peppering in some of your favorite words in their language and they will love you like I will have the tapas and people really (laughs) respond to that you shouting just random bits of their (laughs) of their language at them but you're correct Alice we're not really welcome in most places post Brexit like all of the because all of those people who flew back from the Costa del Sol to vote for the Brexit party there were videos of them people flying back to say we're voting for Farage because we want our country back you know the one we don't live in anymore we want it back um and so that's that's what the UK got in our Brexit trade deal we got our assholes back because they've all been shoved out of those European countries and I was like this is part of the trade deal that I did not want I didn't want the assholes back from abroad but now we've got them so to do this with a non-politics take I think it depends on who's asking these questions what if the person going around to do this survey is just a super hot chick everyone's friendly to a super hot chick (laughs) except slightly less hot chicks (laughs) you you have like if 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 you're marginally less hot than the super hot chick then you might not be friendly to her but everyone else in the whole world is friendly to a super hot chick Denmark didn't make it in I thought they were top of the happiness index Maybe it's because they keep British people up. <laughs> Maybe they've got they've got good boundaries and uh, and, and, and personal uh, personal space things. Yeah. Yeah, I think they just say if they don't like you, they they tend not to be big on the social niceties. Maybe this list should be the the countries that are the best at lying to tourists about how willing they are to be nice to you to take your money. The countries with lowest self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of our travel section because we have to close out the show. But first, some awards. Elon Musk has been awarded the prize. Is it a prize? Uh, of being Time's Person of the Year. So just to unpack this story for anyone who doesn't know the backstory, uh, Mark Benioff is the billionaire who owns Time magazine, which just made Elon Musk Person of the Year. He's also an investor in Elon Musk's SpaceX, 
which is a company that's at risk of bankruptcy because it has a bad habit of firing all its money into space. Anyway, whether or not you think Time magazine giving Musk positive publicity by naming him Person of the Year is mind-bendingly self-serving like a glory hole with a penis coming out <laughs> both sides, let's not worry about it too much. Let's just do our gargle Person of the Year. Tiff Stevenson, who do you think is the gargle Person of the Year? Well, I'm actually going to quote a comedian called Anthony Kapfer who tweeted, I think we can all agree Pete Davidson was the Person of the Year. <laughs> let's have a comedian let's have one of our own and if I can't put myself on there then you know let's have Pete Davidson sure why not you can put yourself on there I, I nominate you <laughs> Tiff as person of the year okay all right well then can we all nominate each other and then that would be like really I'll put you on Alice oh thank you I am a person <laughs> you are a person and you made a whole other person out of your own body yes a couple of weeks ago I was multiple people <laughs> so it's a, it's a two for one <laughs> John Luke, who's the person of the year in your eyes? Can we do that? Isn't there? Wasn't there some year that they did something like the person of the year was everybody or yes. something like that? Yes. Something stu- Let's just do that again. Like it's easier that way. You don't. Nobody gets offended. Everyone's so everyone's a bit annoyed, but nobody's really, really. Oh, that's like the Edinburgh Comedy Award. The year they gave it to everyone. Oh, yeah. Like the second year they introduced the panel prize and they went, yeah, let's just. Oh, we can't think of one this time. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> We're coming to the end of the edition, flipping through the ads at the back. Uh, John Luke, have you got anything to plug? Yes. My podcast, Soundheap, still exists on the internet. That's Soundheap. Uh, Soundheap, the podcast of podcasts. Soundheap, uh, it's my life's work. (laughs) Tiff Stevenson, have you got anything to plug? I'm doing some shows at the Vault Festival in February. I can't tell you exact dates, but if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram or any of those, I'll be putting them up. I'll be doing Mother and I'll be doing a work in progress of my new show, As a Woman Overthinker. Very nice. I have... Show's coming up next year in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and Edinburgh. If you want to see or hear any of my work, go to patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. It's a one-stop shop for all of my stand-up podcasts, blogs, all of that thing. You are listening to The Gargle. It is a co-production with The Bugle Podcast and Alice Fraser. Your editor is Ped Hunter. Your executive producer is Chris Skinner. And I'll talk to you again next week. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.